Well, hello and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I am Brad and I'm joined as always by my good friend James. How are you doing today, James? I'm great. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. We are joined today by a good friend who I actually served in the same city briefly, overlapped uh, in Thailand together. So I'm excited to have with us Greg. Greg, how are you doing today? Good. Good to have you with us. I'm excited to hear, even Thanks. though I know probably more of your story than James, I'm excited to hear some more. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, we really appreciate it. Just to to jump in, you know, we're talking about Buddhism and our listeners have already heard a little bit about Tibetan Buddhism and you are in a different place. Uh, so we're excited to hear another facet and another perspective on on the world of Buddhism and working with them. Uh, so give us, to start us off with a little background, how did you get connected to working with Buddhists? How did, where were you at? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, my story really begins um, in high school with a call to go into missions and in particular into medical missions when I was in high school. So I was uh, really at that time pretty clueless about the world. You know, I grew up in Kansas and, you know, typical middle-class family here and just not really that in touch with other cultures or other religious groups all that much, you know. So Mm -hmm. it really wasn't until college I uh, started meeting some international students from Asia in particular. So there were some students from Japan. And there was one particular student who was from Thailand who I met in college. So I started, I think, getting more interest in sort of Asian culture and in particular with that calling, feeling like I was called to go overseas, you know, started to look more in that direction and trying to learn a little bit more about, you know, what other people in that part of the world really believe in. So um, I didn't do any formal studying. So, and again, I, I should probably preface this by saying I'm not an expert on Buddhism at all. <laughs> so mm-hmm. a lot of uh, what, you know, what I'm going to share is more about, about practical experience, you know, living overseas and living in Thailand. So anyway, I, I'll uh, preface it that way. And then uh, the first time I went to Thailand actually was uh, just at the end of college. So end of my senior year. My wife and I, we got married in Thailand, actually. She's from Bangkok. So that was kind of the introduction into Thai culture and sort of the strange blend of Buddhism in both Thai and Chinese culture in in Bangkok, because she comes from a Chinese family in in Bangkok. So I got, and her family is a mixed family. So dad's side of the family are Buddhist. Mom's side were actually Christian, Baptist. Uh, okay. For several generations from from China, and so they were. Uh, she grew up in a in a Chinese Baptist church in, in Bangkok. So, oh wow. So my so, yeah, my first experiences. Let me let me just come. yeah, let me ask you a question. Just not to not to date how old you are now, but so I have a picture in my mind. <laughs> uh, like what year? What year was this when you first go to Thailand? It was 1989. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so you can do the math there. So you're about 29. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was I was pretty young then. Yeah, so we were there for about six months and got married over there. And then so that's when we had to come back. So I, I went to medical school, at the University of Kansas in Kansas City, and Wichita. And so we made several trips back and forth during those years, while we were in the process of, you know, applying with mission agency, and then sort of going through all that process, having children. We had three kids while we were here. 
so then eventually in uh, 2001, we moved to Thailand. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, did you know any Thai at the time or what was your... <laughs> well, my, yeah, so I, I took a month of Thai, <laughs> you know, my, the first uh, go around in Thailand. So that was just enough to let you know how hard the language is <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, how impossible it seemed. But I did get a lot of listening in my first uh, six months. I mean, I spent a lot of time with family and, and others because I, I wasn't in class or anything. So I had a lot of free time. So just, um, just sitting in in uh, my wife's dad's uh, shop and people would come in and they would talk. And so it was uh, just a lot of uh, listening, you know, for the first six months, which I think is a really turned out to be actually a really beneficial experience mm-hmm. for me. First of all, it's important, I think, to learn to listen in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in in, uh, in dealing with other cultures, other languages, other worldviews, I think the more you listen initially, and just uh, don't say too much. Uh, I think the better off you will be in the long run, and the more you'll understand, and you'll just be able to to communicate better. I think with people, just be able to to be able to speak clearly, and you'll have a better understanding of where people are coming from when you've taken the time to really to really listen and try and get those sounds. You know, because Asian languages tend to have mm-hmm. uh, you know a tonal component to them, so. The more you the uh, the more you listen, the better off you'll be in trying to speak. I hear you. Uh, we definitely think language is important, and we be- we definitely know it's a challenge. Yeah. So, Greg, can I can I jump in here, James? Did you? Um, I, so one of the things we have encouraged people to do is when they, if the Lord leads them overseas longer term, is to have some time off the back. Because certainly you had a skill set as a doctor, you could have jumped right in. Did you? intentionally kind of focus on language for a while rather than jumping right. in professionally or were you were you doctoring throughout that time no i uh fortunately had a a, a year to just do language so mm-hmm. my yes. first year was in Chiang Mai, and i had um, a language school it was kind of like a small classroom setting and then i had a really good tutor actually who he probably helped me the most he would just take me to the market or take me to a restaurant or take me to some business and say, Hey, go talk to this person and ask him these questions. And then, you know, come back and write down your answers and we'll, we'll talk about it. So there was a lot of just, you know, being kind of thrown (laughs) out there, you know, but it was in a safe setting. You know, there wasn't a lot of uh, harm that could be done if I didn't order my noodles correctly, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't, I wasn't doing any medicine uh, really at all the first year. So that was helpful. Uh, second year, we were working with more like community medicine type things. So I wasn't really in a hospital setting or a clinic setting. So again, it wasn't uh, a high amount of or a, a large amount of time, you know, that was uh, involved in practicing medicine. So again, had kind of another year to practice and work on language uh, skills. And I think especially being immersed uh, you know, in the community that really helped my reading and writing skills. You know, I knew the basics of the the alphabet, but, you know, getting more fluid with, you know, being able to read quickly, you know, and being able to write things down, you know, in the Thai script uh, during those first couple of years really helped a lot. And then, you know, of course, at the same time, you're always practicing your listening skills, trying to understand what people are saying, and then, you know, trying to 
to, you know, communicate and speak clearly so people understand you. So yeah, I had a couple of years where I really could focus on language. Gotcha. And let me just ask one language question for my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Is Thai, like once you learn what, what all of the letters or whatever, like it's a, all these circles mean. Yeah. Is it a, is it fairly phonetic? Like, like Spanish or whatever. It's like, yeah, you can kind of read it or is it like, well, it's kind of like English. You have all these weird spelling rules and. Oh yeah. No, it's very phonetic. So if you, um, and it really helped me to write things down in the Thai script because they have very specific rules about the tones that are built into the written language. Mm. So they have tonal markings and, you know, there are certain uh, rules like a certain letter if it's on the end of the word you know it makes it short versus long it makes it a high tone versus a low tone and and so uh, being able to see the word written down would help me know how to pronounce it correctly in terms of the tone and so and i'm more of a visual learner so it really helped me to have that word in front of me and i could say okay these are the rules and after time you don't think of the rules but it just kind of becomes natural But then you see this and you know, okay, this is a high tone, so you need to say it this way. Mm-hmm. Some people are better, you know, audio learners, so they don't want to learn the script. They just assume they hear it and then they just remember it. Mm-hmm. So knowing the script and, and putting that together with the, the, the way that the word is pronounced tonally really helped me a lot. Yeah, gotcha. Thanks. So before we go too far down the language trail, we'll go back to Buddhism. What did you find? <laughs> okay. what, what's what's Buddhism like in Thailand? How did you begin experiencing it? What was it like when you got there? Mm. Well, okay, let me tell you, like one of my first experiences, <laughs> um, and this was that first six-month window. So I was just there as a college student, you know, not really, I didn't really know anything and didn't have any responsibilities, but there was a a dentist who kind of had a couple a shop a couple doors down from my in-laws and so he wanted to learn english so i would go down there and talk to him in english and he and then he'd speak to me a little bit in thai and so and then he would kind of take me out on kind of cultural adventures so he really wanted to be a pilot for some reason mm-hmm. i don't know why he went all the way through dental school open to practice but for some reason his calling in life was to be a pilot so he was partly wanting to practice english so he could become a pilot Anyway, one time he decided he wanted to take me to this fortune teller type person, shaman. I don't know exactly what you call him, but he wanted to go and find out if he would ever be successful in becoming a pilot. So you kind of go to this uh, place. It wasn't even a temple or anything. It was just like, a, as best I remember, just kind of like this room in some concrete building. It was just a really eerie feeling for me. It was really strange. It was like he, you know, you had incense and you had candles and it was just kind of all the spiritual kind of a place. And he was dressed in some kind of a, almost like a monk garb, but not exactly a monk. You know, he was sort of a, not, not your typical Buddhist uh, type of monk, but this was considered, you know, kind of uh, a religious ceremony. So you had to go in there and the, my friend kind of had to bow down and, you know, kind of pay some money or something. I don't, I don't remember all what he did, but, and then this guy just started chanting and kind of going through all these kind of, I don't know what he was saying, honestly, but it seemed like sort of almost like Buddhist chanting and then kind of, and of course I wasn't understanding the, you know, much of the language at the time, but I just remember feeling really kind of, 
freaked out by the whole thing. You know, like this seems really demonic almost. And then when we were finished, we went back and, you know, my friend said, I, yeah, I think I'm going to become a dentist. You know, he, he gave me a, a, a positive rating, I guess. <laughs> so, um, and that was, you know, to me, it was just so strange. And that this was, I mean, you know, he was your typical Thai Buddhist, but the approach seemed to be like using religion or using religious ceremonies um, or religious people like monks or others to get what you want in life. Um, and I think that was a recurrent theme that I, I saw over and over again, where people would go to certain temples or they would you know, consult with a, a fortune teller or, you know, some holy person. Usually there's some kind of a, you know, a gift given or maybe, you know, offering some money, you know, and some kind of a worship-like experience where they would, you know, bow down or, you know, put their hands up in, in a prayer-like fashion. And then, but there was always some intention of, I want to get something out of this, right? I want to offer a prayer so that somehow the spiritual forces in the world will give me what I want, whether it's becoming a pilot or, you know, having a baby or getting into a certain college or, you know, winning the lottery, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So I, it seemed to me just on the street level in Thai Buddhism, that's driving a lot of uh, the religious practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Greg, during my brief time there, and, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, because I was focusing on a people group outside of Thailand, so I was not very mm -hmm. immersed, but my impression was, it was sort of, people were trying to avoid something bad happening in right. their life, and were trying to, you know, have some luck in some area, like get some for some fortune, like you're describing, those were sort of right. the two driving things, but often in America, we think of Buddhism as, oh, these people, you know, are all... They're trying to be enlightened and find peace, but it seemed like those two factors were really strong. Is that a fairly accurate impression? Right. Well, I think you had kind of those two things simultaneously happening in, in culture. I think there's sort of the high religion, which if you go into a uh, Buddhist temple in Thailand, you know, you're going to have monks that are studying the writings and the teachings of the Buddha, and they sort of have the classic you know, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Pathway and, you know, sort of the all the different rules of becoming enlightened, you know, is, which is sort of this almost esoteric idea that's really more for monks and, you know, people that are sort of higher up on the chain of uh, religious hierarchy. But for the average person, I, I think that just is a bit unattainable. And I think they are, you know, well, they'll, they'll believe, they have that in the background, you know, that's sort of the, you know, kind of the worldview that they're kind of living in the day-to-day -day practice or even week-to-week -week practice. You know, they're not going to church every Sunday, you know, they're not necessarily getting up and having a quiet time and, you know, reading scripture and, and praying and that sort of thing. I mean, they are trying to live their lives, trying to raise their families, you know, make money, whatever, have, have a good time. And, and like you said, they're trying to avoid bad things from happening and they're trying to make good things happen. And so they're searching out ways uh, to do that. And, and, you know, part of it is karma. You know, you, if you make merit, you do good things, 
you know, good things will come back to you. So that's sort of that current of, well, I need to go, you know, to this temple and I make an offering. And so that means something good is going to come back to me, right? The more merit I make, the more good things will happen. So if you, if you build up enough merit, there's just this idea, not that, you know, my next life is necessarily going to be, you know, wonderful, perfect, but in this life, I should gain some benefit from it. Mm. You know, and they have a common saying that's if you, if you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you'll get bad. Um, and they say that sort of thing all the time. Mm-hmm. How much kind of a couple full questions, how much are they thinking about the next life? Is that like pretty prevalent in their thoughts or is it like, I'm just trying to get through, through this day, through this world. Yeah. And then also, can you maybe flesh out a little bit more for the monks and the Buddhists? Like what is the, the four truths and the eightfold path? Like what is that? Mm. Um, well, first of all, I don't think people are thinking that much about the next life. Um, just like I don't think people here are thinking much about the next life because we're so preoccupied with what's happening today. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a part of Thai culture is to be very present in the current situation and not get too focused on on future things, particularly, you know, the next life, whatever that means. I think most of them believe in some type of reincarnation, you know, that um, I'm going to come back as something, maybe. Hopefully I do enough good things that I come back as something that's good and, and not bad. But then you get a lot of people who are suffering who experience a lot of guilt because they think I must have done something bad in a previous life. Mm. So there, there's sort of that as well. Like my co- my c- current problems are a result of something I bet I did in a previous life. So I need to start making merit now so I can kind of get rid of all this. Like I need to kind of play out all the bad karma and start storing up some good karma. So then, you know, the next life will, will be hopefully better, but I don't think they dwell on that a whole lot until maybe they get a little older and then you'll see older folks, um, you know, especially as they see, you know, death looming, you know, trying to get a little bit more serious about, you know, making karma. So they do a lot more listening to uh, Buddhist sermons or, uh, you know, making merit, like giving food or alms to a, uh, a monk. Cause the monks would come by in the morning, you know, they'll kind of come through the neighborhood, uh, you know, in their robes and with their little uh, alms gathering and people will, you know, will, you know, go down on their knees and, and pray in front of the monks and then the monks will chant and then the people will put food in their little bowls and it's called, you know, making merit through alms giving to the monks. So that's a, just a real common community thing you'll see in neighborhoods, you know, all over Thailand, people doing that. And, uh, you know, I have to confess again, I, I don't think I could tell you what the eightfold path is <laughs> because it just wasn't all that relevant. And, you know, the four noble truths, again, you, you can look it up, but, you know, it has to do with suffering as being sort of uh, a result of desire. And so we need to, to sort of uh, eradicate desire in order to eradicate suffering. But you just don't see that in everyday people's lives. I mean, people aren't trying to eradicate the, the, the search for, you know, desire and and pleasure i mean people are Mm -hmm. doing that all over the place so you know again that's that that higher buddhism i just don't think is really what most people are interested in i understand let's talk a little bit about um as people so you you were there you were sharing your faith people would come to faith 
how did a how did a believer in that context interact with now they've got all these things you know family members all these things in the culture that are buddhist what do they do on the festivals what do they right what do they do with all of that right yeah it would be a little tricky because buddhism is really considered you know the national religion um although it's not imposed on people i mean you are free to to believe uh, in whatever religion you want and and there's a significant muslim uh, population particularly down south so of course you know they're not being forced you know to abandon islam so there are mosques you know even in northern thailand we had chinese muslims so so and one of my colleagues was actually a muslim in in the family medicine department at the university anytime there was you know a a, a special holiday or ceremony for example at the um i worked in the family medicine department at Chiang Mai university and they they uh built a new building. And so when you build a new building, um, you have to do a um, ceremony to appease the spirit of the land. So anytime you build a, a house or any kind of structure on a, on a open lot or an open piece of land, you have to uh, appease the spirit, which again, this is not Buddhism at all. This is animism, but it's, it shows you kind of how they get kind of blended. And so they usually will bring in, oftentimes it's not a Buddhist monk, it's a, a, a shaman who is more like a, a Hindu Brahmin type uh, priest. Uh, so they'll be wearing white. They won't be wearing kind of the, the typical, uh, you know, um, saffron robe. Um, and they have a kind of different set of ceremonies that they'll do, you know, certain chants that they'll chant, which will be completely different. So you know, you want to be polite, you want to kind of stand there and participate. But when anytime there's any kind of like, bowing down and praying, my Muslim colleague and I would just not participate in that part of it, you know, we would just respectfully stand um, and not not like bow down to a monk or to a Buddha image, you know, so there were certain things where you had to kind of figure out how to participate, but not, you know, be involved in idolatry you know mm. worshiping or praying to a buddha image in particular so um i think people who you know particularly if they come out of a buddhist family you know that gets really hard because a lot of families feel like you're abandoning you know the family if you're not participating in the in the buddhist uh ceremonies mm -hmm. just like in the springtime you would go out to um the graveside for your ancestors who had, who had like your, your grandma passed away, for example. And so she's buried out there in the countryside. And so the family would go out and prepare a bunch of food and put it, you know, on the um, gravesite, and then, you know, light a bunch of firecrackers and, and uh, some candles and incense. And then you're supposed to bow down and pray to your ancestors. Well, you know, the, the Christian side of the family, they didn't do that. They didn't want to pray to their ancestors. But what they would do is they would just sometimes they might say, you know, let's pray and and just pray to God uh, for our family. Or they might just kind of do something that's like bow three times in respect to our, our ancestors, but not in a worshipful way. Just so we're showing respect. So I think there's um, different families in different cultural groups in Thailand have figured out ways to try and participate and be a, be a member of the family during these you know, significant events or uh, memorials, those kinds of things without, you know, violating their conscience. 
So what about two part question? Do they so do they get persecuted very much from their family when they do that? Is there ostracization at all? Sure. And then I guess the and second I think, part I just want to hear about sharing with with a Buddhist. How do you begin? What was that typically mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say it kind of depends on the family. I think it's harder for younger, like a college student would have a real hard time, even if they accepted Christ and believed, would have a hard time telling their parents that if they came from a a strong Buddhist family. And they might keep it a secret from their family, and they might keep it a secret for a long time. Um, And you also see people who you know, when they're in college, they might accept Christ. And then later in life, they kind of change their mind. And and you'd often hear people say, well, I'm, I'm 50, 50, you know, I'm 50% Christian, 50% Buddhist, or, um, you know, or it kind of varies uh, depending on how they feel, which just seemed bizarre, you know, to, to us from the, from the West. And it's not really scriptural, of course, but, um, but, you know, that's how they, they understood it. I, I always just thought, I guess people are on a journey and they're trying to figure out their you know, their spiritual beliefs, and you just have to keep loving and praying for them, you know, and, and sharing scripture and truth with them and, and um, hope and pray that at some point they, they're fully, you know, committed or they, they're fully believing. As far as sharing, you know, we, we, we really felt like that you had to really build a relationship with people, and it had to be sort of in a natural kind of context. So, For example, for me, you know, when I started working in the medical school, um, started, you know, teaching uh, students and residents in family medicine, we'd have a weekly English class. So there were several times where we just, you know, the issue of religion would come up or, or, you know, Christian beliefs. So I would share, you know, I'd share with them and it it wasn't necessarily just a one-time thing. It would be kind of over and over again, you know, kind of re- uh, stating, you know, what I felt like was essential truths. And, you know, we'd get through the whole thing and it felt like, you know, it had explained the whole story pretty clearly. And, you know, I'd say, so what do you guys think? You think this is true? Do you think Jesus is the one and only God? And, and they would generally say, no, we don't really, (laughs) we don't really believe that's a nice story and uh, it's good for you, you know? And, uh, but, uh, no, no, thanks. You know, that's not what we're interested in. But but then there would be other people who would just, um, you know, you'd be sharing with them and, um, uh, you know, they may not, uh, you know, come to Christ in that moment. But then later they would come back to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian now. Um, I prayed and accepted Christ. You're like, oh, great. I mean, that that's good. And, and uh, so, you know, it wasn't, you know, massive numbers or anything like that. And uh, it was always a mystery you know, how God was working in people's lives. And you never were quite certain, you know, what, what God is doing in each person's life. But you always felt like, you know, you, you wanted to try and share with every person that you could in a way that was, um, you know, not culturally offensive or didn't like just turn people off. Mm-hmm. Because if they're there, you know, I'm there as an English teacher or as a, as a doctor, um, you know, I felt like I needed to to do those things. I needed to be a doctor. I needed to do what I was there for, but at the same time, sharing my faith sort of mm-hmm. in a natural, natural way. Mm-hmm. What are the kind of things that, like you said, share it in a way that wouldn't just like completely turn them off. Like, give me an example, I guess, of what not to do or. 
Well, I mean, I always felt like, um, you know, Thai people are real polite. And so you have to be pretty sensitive to if you are pushing too hard. You know, I think, it, you know, because you can get into sort of this argument. And I, I can think of a couple of times as we had, you know, one of our um, one of my colleagues was a very into Buddhist uh, spiritualism. And, and it was a little bit of an offshoot of kind of traditional Buddhism. But I mean, he loved to talk about what he believed. And he, you know, it was almost like he was trying to convert me to Buddhism. And then I had a Muslim colleague who he also loved to talk about religion, but it seemed like he was being very evangelical in terms of trying to, you know, convert me to Islam. So we could sit there and have debates all day long, but uh, it didn't seem like, you know, they were necessarily true seekers. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think, you, you know, you want to be sensitive to where God is leading you to someone who is in that uh, situation where they are, they're open to the gospel, you know, that they are in a, in a place in their life where they can hear it and, and receive it and it can bring about some fruit or some change. And that doesn't mean you can't share with people who are closed, but I mean, you, once you get the mm -hmm. sense that, okay, this person is not interested in hearing about Christ then, you know, then it just move on, you know, and just continue to pray for them and love them and build that relationship with them. And you wait for another opportunity at a later date. And did you find did the average, average Thai person there, did they enjoy talking about spiritual things? Was it like, did they want to talk about like when we did our Muslim series, you know, like, and just like you just said, like Muslims typically love to talk about it and, you know, they're going to try to convert you. What were what were Thai Buddhists like? Did they enjoy talking about it, or was it kind of a? I I think to a certain point, um, and this is where maybe I'm 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 not sure honestly. I I often felt like I wasn't quite sure if people were again just politely indulging and in listening to me, or if they wanted wanted to talk about it. But it felt kind of like they had other things that they wanted to talk about, and they had other issues that were pressing and, you know, talking about religion or talking about particularly a, a foreign religion to them, Christianity, or talking about the Bible or the gospel. To them, it was just some somewhat irrelevant, I would say, for mm -hmm. most people. Like, why, why are you trying to tell me this story? I don't know what that has to do with my life. So, mm -hmm. um, and you could, again, you could kind of tell if people started avoiding you, if <laughs> you know they go to the other side of the sidewalk or whatever, and uh, they don't want to, they don't want to run into you anymore. So, yeah, yeah I think um, again, you, it's a, it's a sometimes a difficult uh, balance to try and figure out. You know, when you're you're wanting to share the gospel with as many people as possible, but you're also trying to be, what should I say, tactical? I guess I would say, you know, like where where is my where are my resources best spent, you know? Mm -hmm. Rick, talk a little bit about being a doctor in that environment, you know, and uh, how was, how did that help you have inroads to ministry? And were there any challenges or disadvantages of doing that? Maybe you could just give a little synopsis of mm -hmm. what that looked like. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I found a lot of people really helped me along the way, um, get to the place where I could actually practice medicine. In Thailand, there was, yeah, uh, it took a while to get, you know, licensed and, you know, had to, 
I had to take the boards there. So it, it was a several year process. The, and the family medicine department really uh, was great and as far as helping me out and, and supporting me through all of that. And it was a, actually a way to build relationships. So a lot of my closest friends were a part of that department. And, you know, over those years of, you know, they were helping me, but I was also providing a service to them coming from America, family medicine in America, and then, you know, being a, a part of their faculty there. And so being able to teach not only English, but also medicine uh, from an American perspective, which they were very interested in. So they, you know, I was providing a a service for a a felt need, you know, there. And, but it also helped me a lot in terms of uh, my understanding of how they practice medicine. So I felt like I grew a lot as a physician, had a lot of really good experiences, opened up doors to communities. We did some like alcohol uh, use uh, screening in communities. So we did a lot of like community outreach. We did some blood pressure screening. We were doing home visits. So I, I got to go into a lot of homes in Chiang Mai that I wouldn't have been able to get into otherwise. And so mm-hmm. I was it just opened a door, I think, that would have been very difficult to get into if you were kind of a traditional missionary or if you were coming in just knocking on people's doors, you know, wanting to share the gospel. So And that, you know, that led to a lot of, you know, conversations just like it does in medicine here. You know, you have people who are struggling or suffering or having problems and, you know, you listen to them and you, you just kind of dialogue with them about, you know, what are solutions, you know, what are our ways that we can help. And sometimes that was just medicine, you know, it was just like, you know, you got strep throat, here's your antibiotics. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it was listening to them about their family problems or sometimes it was um, I'm an alcoholic you know what do I do about that and then sometimes it was you know spiritual crisis and you know here's what I think is is the the truth about you know how to resolve your spiritual crisis I mean to be honest they came from such a different worldview I think it was really hard for them to understand the gospel a lot of times it just seemed like it just was like I don't I don't get this like Jesus died on a cross and how is that save me exactly. So, you know, it was, it made me realize that I think growing up in a Christian home in a, you know, in a place where we just all kind of assume that, you know, that this is kind of um, the truth that when you go into a, a place where that is not at all the background belief, then it's just so strange for them. You know, it's really hard for them to accept. It's hard for them to understand and get to the place where they could really believe. But that's where, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where God, that's his job, you know, mm-hmm. to to convince people's, you know, minds and hearts that uh, the gospel is true. And we were just there trying to be faithful, you know, to share the gospel and to love people and to meet uh, needs as best we could. Do you have any idea about, yeah, what percentage of Thai people are Christians? Yeah. Has the church started making inroads? Kind of what's God doing there? What do you have you seen? Yeah. Well, you know, the church has been working there for, you know, 180 some years, 190 years. So there's been activity, uh, particularly initially among the Chinese. Uh, that was sort of where the gospel really took off. So if you go back, you know, 100 and 
80 years or so, Chinese immigrants coming into to Thailand, a lot of them were open to the gospel. So a lot of missionaries had had uh, success there. So there's a lot of like Chinese churches and, and Chinese Christians, uh, you know, several generations down. Um, and they're, you know, still working to this day. They're trying to reach out to their communities and their their neighbors and, and friends. There's, you know, churches are, are growing all across the various regions, Northeast and North and, and Southern Thailand. I think that overall, the percentage is probably around, don't quote me on this, but one to 2% Christian. Okay. I think it's, uh, you know, maybe there's four or 5% Muslim and it's around 90 something, low 90s that are Buddhist. But it depends on what part of the country. And, you know, if you're down in the South, it's probably some parts of Southern Thailand are majority Muslim. Okay. Like Chiang Mai has a larger percentage, I think, of of Christians just because of the the history of mission work there, and they have a you know a Christian college and Christian schools, and and so there's quite a bit you know in in Chiang Mai. So it, it just kind of depends on on where you are, but it's, it's still you know a very low number, and we'd love to see more ties, you know, accepting Christ and see the church growing mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you were a college student and you were going to go over to Thailand, you're going to be there for a summer, and you were trying to connect with Thai college students, uh, where would you start? Or would there be topics or areas of their life that would be maybe better avenues into the gospel? Hmm. Wow. Uh, so kind of depends on where you're you're going, what part of the country you're in, and what uh, what part of the university you're in. I suppose, you know, with this kind of social media and globalized world that probably college students here and college students in, in Thailand are have a lot of similarities, probably a lot in common. And uh, so I would just look for things that you share, whether it's, you know, you play Fortnite together, <laughs> you know, or you do TikTok videos, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, you love Marvel movies or you love the NBA or you love, uh, you know, World Cup. Uh, you know, I think it's trying to find common interests with someone and and you start talking about those things and, you know, maybe it's joining in some activities that they're doing that, or maybe you want to learn something new. I mean, maybe you want to just work on language. So you just focus on having somebody teach you to uh, learn to understand Thai and maybe learn the alphabet, maybe learn to speak a little bit. Maybe you want to study more culture uh, issues or history of Thailand. So there might be, you know, departments in universities where you could do that, or maybe you want to um, study engineering or other things, you know, whatever. I think it's just trying to find things that are natural and, and commonalities with, with people that make the relationship building part fairly natural easy, and easy natural. and, and mm-hmm. seem, yeah. Um, I wouldn't go in and just start, uh, you know, trying to share the four spiritual laws with someone, you know, at the lunch, in the lunchroom, the first time you meet them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you, you know, I know different people groups, different places in history will have like certain Bible stories that like really resonate with them. Are there any stories that you observe that resonated more with the Thai people? I know that's kind of a broad audience too, but. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the good, I'm, Good Samaritan would be one. Uh, the prodigal son would be another. Some of those parables, I think, of Jesus that are particularly 
maybe family oriented or sort of the sort of that compassion. I think compassion and mercy, forgiveness, uh, restoration relationships. I think those parables are all really good for for Thai people since those are things that they value. So trying to um, you know connect with with people in terms of this is what Jesus taught. This is something that you value. So there's sort of again that commonality of uh, mm-hmm. values of within the Thai culture. There's this bridge with the gospel. You know that okay, I can I get what Jesus is saying here, and this really makes sense. And this shows you know he's a good teacher. And again, that's kind of where they're going to approach the gospel. That's uh, Jesus was a man who was a good teacher, but mm-hmm. then to take that to the next step where no, he's really the Son of God. You know he's actually God in the flesh and, you know, he came to save you. So that's, again, that's going to be a a process. So I I wouldn't think that, you know, you come in in a summer and think you're going to take somebody from zero to 10, you know, in a summer. But if you can think of yourself as I'm here to help this person get from a two to a three, you know, and then the next person comes along and they're going to go from a three to a four, you know, Mm -hmm. so you see yourself as uh, sort of just one link in the, in the chain. Yeah. That's for you, Brad. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I was going to say, did James pay you to use our analogy? But, uh, that seemed, seemed like it was genuine from the heart. So Yeah. Let me drink uh, my Pepsi now. Thank you, Pepsi, for that. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. this, this episode is brought to you in part by... No. Yeah. I'm looking at the at the clock here, James. I'm always the, the clock guy, so sorry. I know you, you James, would keep going for another hour. He, he really loves these, and I do too. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, before we go, Greg, I was wondering if you could just lead uh, lead us out by voicing a prayer for your Thai friends or the nation mm-hmm. of Thailand, just kind of for God to continue to work there. Sure. Great. Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, um, we just um, th- thank you, first of all, for your mercy for us, that you came for us and that we were um, sinners who were lost and far from you at one time, and uh, you graciously um, have called us to be a part of your kingdom, part of your family, and um, we're grateful for that, and we just acknowledge that there are many uh, people in the world uh, who are still um, outside of your your family and um, need to hear the gospel and need to um, understand um, that you love them and that you um, have uh, come for them to save them. And, and particularly in Thailand, Lord, we just want to lift up the Thai people now. And um, I can just think of so many friends who um, still don't know you yet. And so I just lift those people up to you, God, and pray that um, uh, that perhaps during this season, Lord, as, as even in Thailand, people are celebrating Christmas and even though they don't understand why, I just pray that there would be some truth um, of who you are um, that would come out during this time. Uh, pray for the church in Thailand that you empower our Thai believers, our friends and uh, brothers and sisters who are, you know, every day that are there, um, they're dedicated to sharing the gospel with their coworkers and neighbors and, and some of them enduring uh, hardship and suffering and even persecution and, being, um, you know, ostracized by their families. Lord, I, I pray for them. I pray you give them courage. And I just really pray, Lord, that uh, your name would be 
exalted and, and glorified um, among the Thai people. And uh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Greg. Always uh, really fun to hear your insights and grateful for your friendship as well. Appreciate your time yeah. today. Yeah. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we'll see you next time on the One Link Podcast. Thank you.